I don't walk through life anymore thinking that if I do everything right, I won't be killed. That's not the mindset that I walk in now. I walk in like, Natasia, you could be killed and you, and there could be like no repercussions for the person that does it to you if you were in the situation in 2020, 2021. Um, but yeah, so so that's one of the reasons why it just it just hurts. And it's just like, it just, it's sad because there's so much more to racial profiling than, than just like, you know, the annoyance of it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so annoyed. I was pulled over. Oh, how dare he? Like there's mental trauma that goes with that too. There's like a difference in perspective. There's a feeling of a lack of safety from the people that are supposed to be keeping you safe. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. My guest today is Natasha Miller, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you, Ronit. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So can you talk a little bit about where you grew up? Yeah, of course. So actually, fun fact for the people listening, I grew up born and raised in the Bahamas. <laughs> so that's actually where I'm recording from right now. And not only am I from the Bahamas, because people may be listening and thinking, oh, I went to a cruise there once. I've been to Nassau. I've been to Atlantis. I've been to Freeport. But I am from a very, very small island. When I say very small, <laughs> I'm talking population of 100 people. Oh, wow. Um, in the Exuma Keys, yeah. And um, the name of the island is Daniel Key. Mm -hmm. And it's in a, a cluster of islands, 365 islands, an island per day called the Exuma Keys. So wow. that's where I am in the world and in the Bahamas specifically. So, so when you would want to go off island, was it a pretty quick trip? Yeah. So usually we travel to Nassau, which is like the capital of the Bahamas. So we travel there like twice, three times a month. And we have these planes. They're mm -hmm. like five-seater planes or nine-seater planes that we take <laughs> over. And it's like a 25-minute flight over. And yeah, that's that's how we do it. And then our mail comes in and the groceries comes in on the mailboat and stuff. So very island-y awesome. lifestyle I grew up in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you were growing up, did you enjoy that? Or did you get, did you get the sense that you wanted to go somewhere bigger? Yeah, so crazy thing. When I was younger, I, I thought so, right? Because when you're young and you grow up on an island that's like, there's no McDonald's here, you know, there's no mall yeah. here. There's just like sun, sand, sea, fishing, swimming, playing hopscotch, using a rock on the road to like drought or hopscotch and stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, you think that, oh my God, I want to live in a bigger city. I want to, you know, have this experience. The good part about it is that, you know, people from my island are very blessed in that we get to travel to the U.S. a lot. Like growing up, I went to Disney World like umpteen times. Like we travel <laughs> twice a year to go shopping for school and stuff like that. But the, now that I'm older, like I'm 30 now, and I feel like I so much more so appreciate growing up in such a small, tight-knit community and like having such a different experience, you know, that it's an experience that I would wish that my child would have. And I understand that being able to relate with friends from other parts of the world, even in the U.S., even right there in Nassau, which is right next to me, they don't have the same types of experiences that I had as a child growing up, especially when it relates to like safety and things like that, you know? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And so what made you decide initially that you wanted to go to university? Like, because you went to university in Georgia. So how did that decision come about? Yeah, so... 
basically before I went to university in Georgia, I did my undergrad in Miami. So did my undergrad and all that was great. And like Miami was basically like my big introduction to the bigger world around me. Like, like I said, I've traveled to the US, specifically Miami many, many times, but now being indulged in the American culture, it's not like you just come in for two weeks and go home. It's like you live here now, you know, and then being able to interact with all of those different people from all of those different nationalities. Like I was the president of the Caribbean Student Association. I was an international student mentor. So I really got to know people from Greece, people from Saudi Arabia and like any country that you can think of. So that was like a gift. And I got to Georgia to do my master's because fun fact I didn't have any money for an MBA, so I had to do a graduate assistantship, and the school in Georgia was the first one that offered that to me. Ah, but so so it sounds like you were really, uh, am I right in saying that you were a very extroverted, leadership-oriented person? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. I grew into myself so much during my time in Miami. Mm-hmm. So up until this point, because I know a little bit about where we're going, mm-hmm. what was your experience of being black? And I don't know if that's the right way to describe what you'd want to, how you want to describe yourself uh, amongst a majority white place. Yeah. Great, great question. So to answer that question, let me start from my childhood first, right? So like I said, I grew up on this uh, population of 102 square mile island and, you know, one would think that that's not very multicultural, but actually on this on this island, we have so many vacation homeowners. Actually, a white woman was my preschool teacher. Right. And one of mm, my cousins. Yeah. One of my cousins is married to a white man. And like our island is known for being the closest in the closest island to the swimming pigs. The original ones are literally five minutes, five minutes away from me. So what does that mean for me? That means that I know like white people are always here. People, travelers in general, you know, are always here. I grew up with like not understanding anything as it relates to racism, right? Like, because even I'll Mm -hmm. I'll tell you another funny story. So I told you my cousin is married to a white man. So that means obviously my cousins are half white. And until Mm -hmm. I was about 11 years old, Somebody was talking about something and they said, yeah, John is white and John is my um, cousin's husband. And I was just like, John is not white. Like, what? Like, what are you saying? Because I just, I just, it didn't, I, I just didn't know what the concept of white meant. Like, yeah. because, you know, white meant, I don't know. It just didn't mean him because he's family. He's my cousin, right? So I right. didn't, I didn't see him as a white man. He's just John, you know, he's just John. Mm-hmm. So, right. so that was my experience growing up, like. You know, there was no like I I didn't see anything that related to racism growing up at all. Right. Mm, So that's so important to know. And and you're were you living with your mom growing up and your father or did did she ever talk to you about this or when you would go to Florida? Did it ever come up at all? Like, oh, this feels different. Mm, Yeah. Good question. So. When I was on my way there, we didn't have a conversation, but I had an experience that I shared with my mom. And that's that's when we had the conversation. So while I was going on the first day of orientation, when I went to Miami, I met two Mm -hmm. white girls. Right. And, you know, everybody's just Mm -hmm. meeting each other. There's all these little mixers and stuff. And these girls come up to me and they're like, hello, my name is Sarah. (laughs) And I'm just like, hi, Sarah, I'm Natasha. And then, you know, 
in my mind, I was saying she probably thinks I'm African, so she probably thinks that my first language isn't English. So now, obviously, after I uh. say my name, she's probably going to be aware now. And then she's like, oh, that's great. Where are you from? So it obviously didn't click, right? So she was uh. with a group of, like, two other girls. And I'm like, I'm from the Bahamas, and by the way, we speak English there, da 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 and then the other girl is like, so where did you get your jeans? And I'm like, okay, finally, we can talk about something that really makes sense in life. So I'm like, yeah, like, I don't even remember. These are old jeans. And I'm thinking, like, obviously, she's, like, checking my swag. And then she's like, oh, but did you get them when you came to the U.S.? Because don't you guys, like, wear grass skirts and stuff? And I was just like, yeah, no. You know what? We don't wear grass skirts. So we had a conversation, and basically, they're their perception of the Bahamas was people wearing grass skirts and coconut bras, living in huts with like thatched roofs and stuff. So I was showing them pictures of like, this is this is us, you know, like these are the mansions in the Bahamas. We are not, you know, we're okay. We're, we're a third world country, I guess, but we're okay, you know. So that was my first experience with racism. Um, and then I had that conversation with my mom and then she was just explaining to me that Everybody, everybody is not as aware as you would want them to be. And she also explained to me that that's not, that was a, a bad situation because I was upset, right? Obviously, I'm just like, how do people mm -hmm. not know, you know? And I've grown so much since then, but I know that we're going to talk about that. But I was just like, how do people not know? How do people think that Bahamians don't speak English? How do they think we wear coconut bras? What do they think we are? Like village people? Like, I don't know. I think that's an important first experience with understanding how you might be getting yes. seen. It was it was definitely an eye opener and mom's little chat helped me out. And, you know, that was I'm happy that that happened because that was just like a look into like me seeing that racism still exists. And, you know, in this century, because like I said, growing up, I was so everything is so open in my island, you know, like everybody is just mm -hmm. like. We have parties, for example, if my uncle who is black has a birthday party, the people from like the white community are coming. It's not like, oh, my gosh, a black guy's party. It's like, oh, my God, it's Brooks's party. Everybody, come on. And like everybody eats together. Nobody yeah. has like a special plate or, you know, like special soda or like anything. It's just like, oh, hey, hey, you, hey, you, how are you? And it's just like everybody mixing and mingling in the same way, like if somebody yeah. from that part of the island comes to our side and like has a party like it's when they get married we all party together like it's just it's it's just different from the experiences yeah, that different. I've had in the U.S. Okay so why don't you tell the story about your grad school experience? Sure so now okay fresh out of Miami woohoo four years of college <laughs> down in the books and then mom and I are driving from from Miami to Georgia and you know, I'm driving and I'm on cruise control five miles per hour below the speed limit. And as I'm driving, like we're, we're like maybe three hours in and it's nighttime now. So we're driving. And then a police officer, like we, saw, we see the police car sirens behind us. So I start to slow down, you know, so he can go around me. Right. And um, I do that for like 30 seconds or so. And I realize that he's not going around me. So I'm like, oh, wow, he's pulling me over. I wonder why. Ah, anyway, mom, check the glove compartment, get the stuff, you know, like routine. Mm -hmm. Right pull over to the side of the road and this officer starts banging on the wall on my window and I'm just like okay scroll the window down and he's like open the car open the car and I'm like mom just get the license and registration because there is this must be you know there must be some type of mix-up and then I open the car door and he literally pulls me out um, and then there's somebody on the other side that pulls my mom out and we are being arrested so 
did, did they say anything to you about why they had pulled you over in the first place? Was nothing, there a, a light out or anything? Nothing. nothing. And, what, and did, they, how did they know who was in the car? Like, do you have any sense that, I mean, because I know that you, this was like a racial profiling mm-hmm, stop. Mm-hmm. So do you have any sense of what was going on in their heads at all? Like, do you, do they? I, t- I kind of do now. So, so basically after they pulled us, they pulled us out of the car, right? I went into one mm-hmm. car and my mom into an, into another car, which was a whole thing because my mom is like, you know, pastor's wife, obviously had never been arrested before in her life. So she's like hyperventilating, which me sad and yeah. getting to the point where like, I guess I have an idea of why they pulled us over. The officer in my car asks me, when was the last time I smoked weed? And I was like, let me think if today is Wednesday, that means two days ago was Monday. Never, officer. I have never smoked weed before <laughs> right? in my life. So I'm thinking that it must have been related to that. That's the only thing that I can think about. But, but for like, so that is totally random then. There's totally no random. reason no. at all. Just no, that no, no. you're like driving yeah. while black? Driving while black in the dark. I guess that's that's the thing. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. And then to make matters worse, listen to this, people. My mom told me that the officer in her car was on the phone with a loved one. And then he says, hey, sweetie, I'll be home soon. I just need to deal with these N-word, B-words. <gasps> now, that doesn't give you an idea of this person's love for the Black community. I don't know what does, but, you know. Oh, so your poor mom. And so when you think about this happening how was she holding it together what did she tell you about her experience in that car she wasn't really holding it together you know like obviously we're we're, we're very prayerful people so like I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it and helping her but the thing is like you know when you are all you're we just came out of a moment of like Natasha's graduated Natasha you know like congratulations my daughter got into grad school and she you know her tuition is already half paid because of her graduate so we're traveling with all this joy right and then like just in the midst of that to have this happen and then Ronit that's not it like after being called an n-word b-word dogs come more cars come and they pull everything out of my car right out of my van I should say because I'm a woman traveling with four years worth of stuff so you can imagine there was a packed van and we have dogs Stepping all over my stuff. Like I have curtain flying to the left and underwear flying to the right. So this is, this is at night? This is at night. On the side of a road somewhere? On the side of a highway somewhere. Oh my goodness. And there's a couple of cop cars. There's yeah. dogs there. Yep. And, um, and is your mom witnessing this part? She's watching the whole thing from the other car. And I'm asking the officer, like, please, can I talk to my mom? Can I get in the car? Because I can see her hyperventilating and, you know, yes. just crying and everything. And there's nobody there to comfort her. There's nobody there to help her understand. Obviously, mm. well, not obviously, but I haven't been arrested either. But I've lived in, mm. at this point, I've lived in the U.S. long enough to know that this is a thing that happens, right? Right. I was just going to ask you exactly. I was going to, I was thinking, you know, what did you know about this kind of a thing? Or was this a brand new idea that yeah, this could it, happen? Yeah, it wasn't brand new. You know, I have, um, I have African-American male friends that have had issues in the past in the U.S., and when I, even when it was in Miami and, you know, they share those instances and stuff like that. And that's an important point, too, because a lot of people think that only African-American men go through this racial profiling mm. stuff. But I'm a living witness. Happened to me twice in a year. 
So Right. And so you're you're telling this story now, and I know we're gonna talk about the second incident too, but when you tell this story, your energy and your sense of humor and kind of perspective come across. But I'm curious how your state of mind was and what your body was going through at this point. How worried were you? I was I was actually more upset than worried. I've always had like I've always had like a, a hatred for injustice. Like, for example, if a, if I was in school and a big kid hit a little kid just because they were little, I would literally like really want to fight the big kid because it's just like, why would you do that? So like, I, I absolutely hate instances like this where it's like, hey, I have the power. You don't let me do what I want with you. And speaking of that, that's when, where the power struggle came in and where you're really going to see my reaction to this whole thing is when we got to the police station. So after they have ramshacked our vehicle, they were like, okay, we need to go to the police station now because during this time while they were looking through everything, my tuition was in cash because I'm from the Bahamas, which means I need to exchange and it's cheaper to exchange in the Bahamas than it is in the U.S. So my mom like exchanged all my tuition in USD in the Bahamas. So now Mm -hmm. the officers are looking in this purse like, hey, Richie's, let's, you know, take advantage of this. So they take us to the police station and they tell me, you were super speeding and your fine is $999. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Seeing as I was on cruise control, five miles per hour below the speed limit. And then he's like, yeah, but anyway, whatever you say, but you were super speeding and now we're going to have to take your money and we know you're going to have to pay this fine now. And I said, no, right? I'm like, no, I don't have to pay this fine now because I have a Florida license. And my Florida license mm-hmm. indicates that if I want to, I can take this to court, which I very well plan to. And he's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can. And he's like, no, you can't because you're an immigrant. And I'm like, okay, sir, I am an immigrant. And I'm an immigrant that has not only one, but two visas that give me access to this country. If you'd like to see them, they are right here in my passport, Right. Like, this is the type of energy that I was carrying then. So my mom is more like, has more of the victim mentality, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's going on? I'm more like, no, like, I refuse to let me be like person number 1,806 that you do this to, because this is obviously not their first time. And we were on our way from the highway to the police station. You know, those dark roads that have like forests and tall trees on every side. And it's like, there are zero like lamps that's the type of road that we went on so it was like one dark road with forest so at that moment I was like oh my god I'm gonna die today I'm gonna be raped and killed so during that time that's that was my feeling and my fear mostly was for my mom because my mom like she has high blood pressure if something like Mm -hmm. happens I don't know what I would do I don't know what happened to her so even while we were in the car on our way to the police station, I just kept looking back to make sure that the lights were coming from the car behind us that she was in. So it was a lot. So anyway, back to yes. the police station. I'm livid. And then the officer sees that I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to allow him to just like take advantage of me because he can. And so he goes to the weaker link and he starts like yelling at my mom, like, do you want your daughter to go to jail, ma'am? And my mom is like, no, I don't. And obviously mm. she's saying this through tears. Like mm. she's like you know like taking breaths and hyperventilating and everything so he keeps yelling at her he's like i have jail cells right back there and i have one with your daughter's name on it if she doesn't pay it, it's fine blah 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 blah. and then finally my mom is like natasia just pay the money and i'm like no <laughs> and she's like natasia just pay the money i'm like no mom no you don't have to pay this i was not super speeding so finally she gave me one of those like you know those looks that your mom gives you and she says <laughs> natasia 
give them the money. And then the officer was like, because I didn't have the purse, the, the other officer had it. So he like passed it to me in this like ha 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 type of way. Yeah. So I put the thousand dollars on the table and he's like, the officer that was speaking initially was like, I hope you don't want change. On our way to Georgia for like 10, 15 minutes in absolute silence. And then finally she breaks the silence and she says, Natasha, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go to university. You don't have to get your master's. Your, your, your dad is super proud of you. I'm super proud of you. The entire family is super proud of you. And we just want you to know that you don't have to do this. I mean, I just want you to know, obviously they didn't know yet, but then she was like, if you want to, I'll, we can turn around and we can go right back to Miami mm-hmm. and take a flight to the Bahamas. So that mm-hmm. was painful to hear her say that. Why? It was painful because I know, like, because before this moment happened, it was joy. You know, like, the officers, they don't, people don't understand, like, what's stolen in these moments. Thankfully, this was pre, like, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, you know, everything that's happening now, because this was in, like, 2011, 2012. Mm. If this had happened in this era, my mom would have had a heart attack because of you know, because of the current climate, the likelihood of dying is like, it's, it's not impossible. Let's just say mm-hmm. no matter how much good you do, no matter how many rules you follow. So I'm happy. I'm, I'm, it sucks that it happens, but I'm happy that it happened prior to this because my entire demeanor would have been different too, because it goes from being like an unjust act to a possible murder. You know, like the likelihood of murder is it's, I don't walk through life anymore thinking that if I do everything right, I won't be killed. That's not the mindset that I walk in now. I walk in like, Natasia, you could be killed and you, and there could be like no repercussions for the person that does it to you if you were in the situation in 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so well, that's one of the reasons why it just, it just hurts. And it's just like, it just, it's sad because there's so much more to racial profiling than than just like, you know, the annoyance of it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so annoyed. I was pulled over. Oh, how dare he? Like there is mental trauma that goes with that too. There's like Mm -hmm. a difference in perspective. There's a feeling of a lack of safety from the people that are supposed to be keeping you safe. So like, like just, there's an, it's an iceberg, you know? And like being racially profiled and like having that, that negative feeling during that moment is just like the tip of the iceberg of it. All of a sudden, this thing happens that takes you out of your feeling of safety or what you can take for granted, and everything is just rocked. Yeah, that's that's definitely it. And like I said, coming from coming from a place like if maybe if I grew up in that environment, then there wouldn't have been such a, a mental trauma because you know it would have been something that I grew up seeing. Mm-hmm. I saw this happen to my uncle, or I saw this happen to my cousin. But because I grew up in an environment that I knew to be it's safe to be a human, no matter what human you are. You can walk this world in your authentic self and not worry about other people treating you poorly because of the person that you mm-hmm. are, right? So going mm-hmm. into this, mm-hmm. going into this with that type of mindset and like having a little bit of experience, you know, in my four years, but like never having that experience myself, like now the type of trauma that I feel like anytime I hear police sirens, I have like a heartbeat mm. that is racing. My heart is racing in those mm. moments. Like my my relationship with policemen is only saved 
because I have like people that I like my best friend's dad is a policeman. One of my best friends is now a policeman. If it weren't for those relationships, I would have probably been one of those people that are like, oh, my gosh, police suck. You know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about it here in Seattle. There have been protests for so long after George Floyd. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of the younger generation has decided that all cops, they have some kind of acronym for it. But yeah. that all <laughs> I'm sure you all I'm sure everyone knows the acronym except me. I heard it, but I'm trying to remember. It. But I think that, you know, and I try to I, I know that I'm a white woman and I have needed the police a couple of times in my life mm-hmm. uh, in situations where I was, you know, either I was in a, a, a little bit of a car accident and someone came to help me or once I was being followed home upstate New York by this very pale kind of, <laughs> I have to say, he kind of looked like a Nazi guy mm-hmm. and the cops ended up helping me. Mm-hmm. So like for me, there are these two reference points, right, where police officers help me. Yes. But I, I try to understand that if police officers had not been helpful to me and, and I'd had one or two experiences that were negative, that would really paint my my entire perspective. And that's basically the way the world works. Like whether we're talking about police officers or some people's perspective on the black community, like if, if you have a perspective that you grew up with on the black community and you think like, oh my gosh, they are lazy. They are this, they are that. And you have no person in your life that is going to shed light on the fact that that's just a stereotype. You are going Mm -hmm. to walk through life with those types of thoughts, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And in the same Mm -hmm. way, luckily for me, I have positive experiences. But that said, I would also like people to think about it from like a a perspective of someone that doesn't. Because like you said, there are people in Seattle, there are people across America and across the world that are like, oh my gosh, officers are not good but that is mm-hmm. not because you know that isn't you can't be like how dare you say that because you don't know what experience they had with officers there are women that have been hurt by men you don't know what experience they have so when they say like the things that they say they're speaking from their experience is there is is their experience right or wrong we can't say but it's it's the truth to them in that moment right. because of the experiences that they had right Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and before this first experience happened to you, had you had any kind of negative reaction to police sirens? No, not in that way. Not at all. Like I would I would never have my heart would never race when I hear police sirens. And for me, I can't even tell the difference between police sirens and ambulance sirens. So any type of siren, any loud noises that have a bell ringing sound, they get me anxious. When police come mm-hmm. to me, even if it's just like I'm walking in a park, right? And a policeman is coming towards me, I will be afraid. Like, even if he's coming towards me to help me cross the street, like there will be a level of fear because I don't know that. And based on my experience, like th- th- I-, I thought that the officer coming to my pol- to my car wasn't coming to arrest me either. I didn't think that the police officer was going to call my mom an N-word, B-word either, right? And so can you talk a little bit about what happened the next time? Of course. So <sighs> the next time, same nice Georgia, <laughs> um, I was, <laughs> was on my way to university. I was having an exam actually. So go to my car and I'm starting to like try to turn on the car and it's like not turning on. So I'm just like, oh, I'm going to be late for this exam. And, you know, this is one of those exams where it's like, if you fail this exam, you fail the entire course. And if you fail this course, you cannot get a master's in business, right? So I'm like frantically calling. I call my friend and I'm like, hey, can I use your car? Like, da 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 And she says, yes, go get the car. And I'm like, 
speeding. I'm not going to lie. I'm speeding. And I'm like trying to get to university. Luckily for me, like my apartment is like five minutes away from university. So like getting there and then there was a red light. And I know that you should stop for three seconds when you're turning left. And I probably did too. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be completely Mm -hmm. honest with you guys. And then a police pulled me over and I was like, gosh, darn it. He caught me. So once as he is on his way, I'm like, okay, let me just get my license and registration prepared for him. So like make this process go by as swiftly as possible. You know, if he wants to give me a ticket, let me just get it and go. So the officer comes over and he's super like, you know, nice and good afternoon. How are you? Are you aware that you are like, like you ran this light? And I was like, yes, I didn't wait for three seconds. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you, do, do you want to me? Do you want to give me a ticket? Mm-hmm. Basically, and then he's like, um, is this your car? I said, no. And then he said, let me see your license registration. At which moment I realized that my license is in the glove compartment of my right. own car. So I'm like, oh, darn. And then I asked the officer, like, can we go to my car? Can I, can I go in your car to my car to show you my license? And then he's like, no, that won't be necessary. And I'm like, OK, great. So like, what do you need? And then he said, let me see the registration. And as I pulled out the registration, my friend's driver's license came out at the same time. And then he was like, can I see that? And I was like, oh, this is my friend. So he looks at it and looks at me and looks at it and looks at me and he's like is this you and I'm like mm-hmm. no it's not me and he's like are you on drugs and I'm like no I'm not on drugs I'm trying to get to my exam and basically long story short after that I was arrested I'm just like wow he arrested you on what grounds I don't know I have no idea at this moment um I think that after I saw the report going ahead in the story, the after I saw the report, it said lying to a police officer. That's what it said there, which is mm, a whole thing in mm-hmm. itself. So were you scared? I mean, how did you... To be your- honest, when he arrested me, I felt like, not like, not like, oh my gosh, how come? But I felt like, oh, not again. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, I felt like it was normal. Sad to say. Like, it's it's a world where it's just like, oh yeah. I'm, I'm black. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the reminder. Fine. Right. There's no benefit beyond the violence. Like even if you don't get to the violence exactly. in, in this relationship, there's no benefit of the doubt that you get. Exactly. That's exactly There's no it. little wiggle room or any kind of assumption that you're you're acting in good faith. Yes. And that's see, that was my that was my issue. So and then as we were driving, I guess he ran my friend's stuff. And then um, he was like, so this is you. And then this point I'm just quiet because I'm I'm still like thinking like oh my gosh this is happening again I'm so annoyed yeah. I think annoyed would be the word that I would use in that particular moment of like oh you weren't like, getting yeah. a sense of harm for yourself at this moment no for some reason mm-hmm. I just I didn't feel that they put me in a room like this um interrogation room I guess whatever and then they come to me after five minutes and then the same officer comes in with another officer and they're like super common they're like Hey, Natasia, did you say that's what your name was? Sorry, this has just been an entirely big mix up. We just need to figure out if you really like borrowed this car from your friend. So we can we just need you to give us your friend's number. Once you give us your friend's number, we'll give her a call, maybe ask her to come down. And so mm-hmm. within like 20 minutes, she comes in and I'm like waving like, hi. And then she's looking at me like I'm the devil. I'm like, what in the world? So she goes into a different interrogation room. I'm in one interrogation room and then one of the officers comes back to me and he's like, Natasia, like, why do you have a friend like that? You know, like, she should have told you that she has these tickets and she put you in this car. She didn't tell you anything. And now she has you in this mix up. And I'm just like, quiet. 
I watch enough Law and Order for that stuff, you know. <laughs> so anyway, um, fast forward, they take me to jail. So that was a whole thing for me. I was like, whoa, wait. What happened is that um, while I was in the police station, it was just like a police station. When they were like, you're going to jail, like actual, like go get ready. I'm taking your stuff. You're in jail. I had mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I can't even express the feeling. So that was the first traumatic, anxious, anxiety moment is Natasha's going to jail. The mm-hmm. second moment that made me anxious and like really sunk it in was when I had to get like the, the mug shot. I was like, this is happening. Like I felt like a criminal, right? Even though they knew that it was not your unpaid tickets. Yes, exactly. So I get my mug shot. Right. And Ronit, this is the thing that changed my life up until today. And even until, well, this is one of the things I was shackled. They put shackles on me, Ronit. You know, shackles, Mm. like shackles, like the actual like chains, like Mm. two feet chained together. And they put them so tight that I was bleeding. And I was like, can you guys please like loosen up the shackles a bit? Like they're kind of, you know, piercing Mm. my ankles. And they laughed at Mm. me. So, so how long were you there ultimately? Well, we were, I was there for a night and um, that's when the anxiety came in. My friend left and they were like, you know, you're free to go. And I was the last one in the cell. And at that moment, I realized that, Natasha, you have no way of getting out of here. So I asked the officer, like, sir, if nobody bails me out, what happens? And then he said, you know, you stay here until somebody does. And then... Like less than an hour, I would imagine later, um, the officer was like, you're free to go. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, you can leave. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then I get to the front, the front area where they have my stuff. And I'm like, who bailed me out? And then was the person that I, re- I sublet my apartment from. So apparently my best friend is not good at keeping secrets so she told my mom Mm. and my mom was like trying to find she called the person that I bought my car from and she called the person that I sublet the apartment from and the lady that I sublet the apartment from basically worked with my mom and the bails bond people and got me bailed out so what do you understand about why you were jailed then like I said on the on the paper that they gave me it says lie to a police officer like there was the the traffic violation. And then on top of that, it said lying to a police officer. Is that a permanent record for you? It is. And it was expunged. Let me explain that because it's like, what? It can't be both. It can. So I got a lawyer and then the lawyer basically got it expunged from my record, which means that if you try to do a background check on me, then it won't show up. Right. But Natasia, as the officer in my previous story mentioned, is an immigrant, which means that the immigration, USCIS, the U.S. immigration people, they do not mm. deal with expungements. There is no such thing as expungements. So now, Ronit, every time I travel to the U.S., which is often because I travel a lot in the U.S. is usually the portal by which I travel. Mm-hmm. I have to go to secondary inspection. And that is embarrassing. That has caused me to miss flights several times. That has caused me the death of a loved one because I was... There was a loved one that when I was on my way from Dubai, coming back to the U.S., I had to like land and then take a bus to see him. And I stayed in secondary, um, secondary inspection for more than six hours. And during that time, he passed away. 
like like I said, the ramifications of racial profiling are so much more than just, you know, the incident itself. Yeah, there's just an ongoing consequence. And this feeling, I mean, would you call it, it's not, it's not earned by you, but would you call it shame? Yeah, well, I do. Because even now, like I said, every single time I have to come through the U.S., I have to go to secondary confinement. I think you mentioned a statistic to me a while ago, but how often are people being unfairly arrested or profiled or the or how many people are victims of this kind of injustice at the hands of police? You know, what's the, what's the crazy thing? I think that, I think that, well, I know that asking this question is similar to asking the question of how many women are assaulted, right? Because there's, there's the amount of cases that are reported and then there's reality. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even when you look at the amount of cases that are reported, that number is like multiple times per day. You know, people say there are 500 babies born every minute or something like that. The statistics as it relates to racial profiling incidents is probably about the same. And those are the reported Mm -hmm. ones. When you think about the ones that are not reported because of the mindset. Right. Like if I live in a place that, you know, police officers are like basically harassing people every day. I'd never report Mm -hmm. that because when I was four, I watched my cousin get harassed by a policeman. And then I was 10. And while I was in school carrying some candies, a police officer like pushed me down. And now I'm 16 and the police officers come through like where I live and they always like, you know, basically harass us. So I'm not going to report that because it's for me the norm. Right. And there are so many inner cities that that's the truth for them. So it's like, Why would I report that if it happens to me so often that it's like, is this even worth reporting? When you talk to people about the work that you do and about equity and inclusion and and when you help people figure out ways that they Mm -hmm. can improve, what do you what do you find surprises your audiences the most? I think that a lot of people are shocked by how often it happens. Well, I know that a lot of people are shocked by how often it happens some So a lot of my clients, when I tell them about like the stories that I've had, some of them are just shocked that it happened to me because they feel like um, um, some people feel like there is a certain type of person that these things should happen to. Right. And that's not a person that has a master's degree and two bachelors that speaks, quote, quote, articulately. Right. This should happen to those people that like are from poverty ravished communities and that wear certain things and that are their teeth are gold and their hair is unkept like these are the type of people they feel like these things happen to so when I tell them that happened to me twice in a year they're like what like why you and the question is actually why any of us right like why any of us have to go through that regardless of how you look and that's a whole other story about bias but that's definitely one of the Mm -hmm. things it's like first of all like I can't believe it happens to people that I, in in my view, are okay. You know, they're not the bad ones. So why are they being treated this way? And then it's also like, oh my gosh, it happens this often because I can literally riddle off stories for days in my own personal opinion. Yeah. So what kinds of things do you ask people to do? What are, obviously people can visit your resources and, and learn more about you. What are some takeaways that you can offer the listeners right now about some of the most important steps they can take? Of course. So the first thing, like everybody is on a, on a different level as it relates to their journey, their, let's say, allyship journey, since we are in Feb. Um, everybody is at a different level. Wherever you're at, 
make sure that you are working towards something, right? So if this is, if this podcast is your first time ever hearing about this stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, what can I do? You should start in the awareness stage, right? So like read a book, read several mm-hmm. books, like don't just take this and, and make this the gospel and make it like, oh my gosh, I listened to this one podcast and now I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> there is so right. much. No, seriously, Ronit, you know, like this is such a deep topic that you really need to understand it. And I think that through understanding, through reading, through researching your why, as in why you want to do this type of work or why you care about social justice is going to get so much stronger because you're going to understand the depth of it and understand like where where you are in this right and then after you go through that awareness stage I would say that whatever you do don't be complacent complacency Mm -hmm. is the advocate of racism like they're besties so I have clients that I've worked with that are like, okay, Natasia, I'm just learning. I'm just trying to take it all in. And it's been like six months. And I'm like, I understand this is a lot, but you can't use your, I'm still in the awareness stage as a crutch. Cause a lot of people do that too. They're like, yes, I want to be an ally. And yes, I want to help out, but I'm still in the awareness stage. So I'm not going to do anything. And that's just, that's not going to, to be an, a, a catalyst for changing the world. Right. If everybody is in the awareness mm-hmm. stage, that means nobody is doing anything. So Get to the point of doing and that doing for you doesn't necessarily have to be being at the front line of a protest, right? Everybody's Mm -hmm. doing is different. And that's another thing I would say, like, don't look at person A and be like, oh, my gosh, look at what Ronit is doing. And Ronit did this and this and that. So, like, I might as well not do anything because I can never do what Ronit does because you have your own, you know, you know, you have your own purpose within the within the allyship community, you know, within this work there is something for you to do and it doesn't have to match what other people are doing but you have to if you are a genuine authentic ally and not a performative ally you have to do something yes can you talk for people who aren't as familiar with the difference because for some people people are on all different parts of their journey in this I mean a couple of years ago I didn't even know some terms and I didn't understand how I wasn't an ally and now I learned so much more but I know I still have more to go so what's the difference between you know what does an ally look like and what's the difference between performative and a true ally okay To make this really simple, um, a performative (laughs) ally is somebody that is doing it for a performance. So I think that the biggest difference between a performative ally and like an authentic ally is their why, right? The why of a performative ally is because I want to be seen as an ally because I want people to buy my product. So let me look Mm. like I'm doing this. And I want somebody to tell me, oh, my gosh, Natasia, you're doing such a great job. So let me do this for that. Let me post on Mm. social media and let me never give to a charity. Let me post and post and post. And like I have a business and I never am going to like hire somebody for DEI training or let me um, let me talk about it amongst, you know, in these little groups that I have. But let me not like help. But let me just say something like, oh, I know what a microaggression is. So I sound good. But let me never invite a person of color on my platform to amplify their voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So the person Mm -hmm. like Ronit, Ronit, um, you inviting me on this platform is is a is a form of authentic allyship. Right. Because you you're the reason that you're inviting me on this is not so that people can say, oh, Ronit, she had a black girl on. You sincerely want to like 
you want me to be able to share my story. You want me to be able to amplify my voice. You want to encourage mm-hmm. your listeners to learn more about this. That's authenticity. And what hurts me is that I have a lot of clients that are like, they are authentic allies, but because there are so many performative allies, they, they fear doing anything because they don't want to be seen as performative. So it's an entire mindset thing where it's like, you know, your reasoning, like, you know, if you are going to buy a Black Lives Matters t-shirt because you want somebody to say, oh, nice shirt. Or if you want that because you want somebody to start a conversation with you where you're able to like talk about situations that, you know, have those difficult conversations. What is your why? Let your why be the indicator. Your why is the indicator if as to if you're a performative ally or you are a, an authentic ally. And, you know, I thank you for that definition and, and for clarifying that. And and it is on a continuum. Would you say that some is better than nothing and more is better than some? Like anything helps or, you know, are you hoping that just people will start to be paying more attention? Because it must be so tiring. Like, I think it's tiring to explain your why. I can imagine how tiring it is to have to always try to promote your, your reason to be able to exist like everybody else, like you've chosen this. And I wonder if it gets tiring. I'll tell you what, what, what frustrates me and what I don't mind doing every day of my life. And I absolutely love it. So what frustrates me is people that see injustice and they, they prefer to ignore it, if that makes sense. So there are people that are like, you know what? Black Lives Matter, yuck, I hate that. And, you know, you guys are so lazy. You know, there are those people. I don't care for them. I don't even, like, allow them into my mental, like, they're nothingness. What what makes me unhappy and what exhausts me is people that are like, but what's wrong? Like, they consider themselves, like, kind people and I want to be an ally, but then they're asking me, like, but I don't get why I can't say all lives matter after I've explained that, after I've explained mm-hmm. the issue with all lives mm-hmm. matter and you still want to like, oh, but Natasha, but why? I'm not, I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm not going to drain my energy with you mm, because mm-hmm. there are people that care about this. And they're like, they're not like trying to basically say like, oh, well, let me find the, let me poke a hole in this. Or let me like, you have to explain this to me 10 times for me to be able to understand when there are people here like Natasha, I'm ready. Like I understand and I want to do better. Tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. That I can do every day. I can do that. That's why I do what I do. Because like I said earlier, like I am a person that like injustice literally crawls my skin. Like I hate can it. Can you like, name a thing or two that would make you feel safer in this world in the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. I love that. Um, what would make me feel safer is if, first of all, there were more people that chose to be aware than those that chose to ignore the obvious. Mm-hmm. So that would make me feel safer because I think that there are a lot of people, a lot, millions, there are literally millions of people that still refuse to believe that there is a problem. If anyone wants to find me, I am available always. And if you want to ask me tough questions, those are my favorites. Um, I'm on Facebook, Natasia Tweetsie Miller. So you can definitely PM me, DM me, add me there. Um, I'm also on Instagram at mind, mind fro like hair travel um and what i would suggest that everybody does whether you are like an anti-racist that's been doing this for like 12 years or like this is the first time you're like being open to this type of discussion i actually created a youtube anti-racism and allyship series 
So if you go to youtube.com forward slash C as in creator forward slash mindful travel, it's like an hour of content that talks about microaggressions and unconscious bias and white privilege and all that great stuff and the do's and don'ts, why you shouldn't say all lives matter. And Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you feel like you wanted to chime in or, you know, as people grow more and more aware and we move transit, we, we transition into the Biden uh, Harris administration here in the U.S. Is there anything else you, you just want to throw in there before we say goodbye? Yeah, well, I guess my last words would be like just what I said earlier, just to reiterate to like not let this podcast be the one and only Thing that happens in your life that relates to allyship or, you know, being a part of social justice, social justice movement, and also just not, not thinking that you are, you are too white to do this, or like, because of where I grew up, like, I shouldn't do this, or I don't want to be involved, because if you are uninvolved, you are, you are a part of the problem. I'm sorry, that's harsh. That's probably the harshest thing I said or would say, because I'm usually a not a very harsh person, but like, if you are complacent, you're part of the problem. Because if everybody takes on that mindset of complacency, that means there will not be any change. And listen, this is a systemic problem. So if we have too many people that are like, well, I'll just let the next person do it. Or, well, I am too busy to do this. Or I don't have enough information to do this. Or I don't really see where I can be like, I can be useful. I'm just me. If we have too many people with that mindset, we're going to we're gonna have more George Floyds to to be completely honest. So if you want less people dying, do something. Mm-hmm. And that something doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to start your own BLM in your community. It's like, just do something. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for your enthusiasm. And I, I really hope, do you feel like things have a chance of changing? I think there is a chance. I, I am, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic. If you're not optimistic, you'd be depressed, to be honest, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this climate, specifically as a person of color. Um, so you have to you have to have that optimism. And that's why what's why I do this work. That's why we do this work. That's why you are opening your platform to help more people to understand so they can also do this work. Um, mm-hmm. But it takes a, it takes an entire village, an entire community, an entire country in order for this mm-hmm. to, to work. But I think that hopefully we're heading in the right direction. Thank you so much, Natasha. I want you to take good care of yourself and please enjoy that beautiful place where you live because it's not that beautiful where I am right now. Thank you. Thank you, Ronine. And you're always welcome. Whenever you want to swim at the piggies, you call me. I have connections. Wink, wink. (laughs) Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening. 